0: In the year 1857, a New York businessman named Jeremiah Lanfear was discouraged. It was a difficult time for the city and the nation. The economy was on the brink of collapse. Tens of thousands were unemployed. Drunkenness and crime were rampant. Lanfear's church had just moved out of their troubled neighborhood in lower Manhattan and left him behind to carry on a work among the immigrants and the unemployed in that part of the city. He'd spent many weeks going door-to-door and preaching on street corners uh, with very little success. So one day, in absolute desperation, he put a sign on the sidewalk out front of their old church building, announcing a noontime prayer meeting, Everyone welcome. At exactly 12 o'clock, he climbed the stairs to the third floor of that old building, took out his pocket watch, and sat down to wait. He had set aside an hour for prayer, and he was determined to stay there even if no one came. And he sat there alone waiting for 30 minutes until he heard some footsteps on the stairs, and eventually five others joined him. And so the six of them prayed for about half an hour or so. Nothing remarkable seemed to happen. But a week later, there were 14 of them. And the week after that, there were 40 of them. And a few weeks later, when the banks collapsed in the city, suddenly hundreds came to pray. And soon, thousands, as many as 10,000, in 20 prayer meetings all across the city of Manhattan. Those prayer meetings broke out in other cities all across the nation, including Boston. There was noontime prayer at Park Street Church and Old South Church in town. And then prayer meetings in about 150 towns all across the commonwealth. It's estimated that in the first few months of 1858, 5,000 people were converted to faith in Jesus Christ. One journalist wrote this. Religion has become the chief concern in many cities and towns in New England. Imagine that. The Fulton Street Revival, as it came to be known, rolled on into 1859 and 1860. And if the Civil War hadn't broke out, broken out, it probably would have kept on rolling. By the time it was all over, they estimated about 2 million people made personal professions of faith in Christ across the country. And many new mission agencies and denominations were given birth, including the Bowery Mission and the Salvation Army and the Christian and Missionary Alliance. Now, how do we explain movements of God like that? Why don't these things happen more often? What would it take for such a thing to happen in our time, in our city? Now, these are the questions we're going to be going after for these next five weeks in the month of May. In a series we're calling More. Now, this was not our original plan. Our original plan was to begin a series on relationships this spring, in keeping with our altogether theme for the year. But back during our Lenten series, we spoke for a couple of Sundays about the Holy Spirit and prayer and revival, and it seemed to resonate with many in the congregation. You sent us emails, you stopped us in the hallway and said, we want more of that. By that, I'm assuming you meant more prayer, more power, more spirit, more whatever it is God has in store for us. And so you'll be happy to know that we listened to you. So we are going to set aside that series on relationships for just a little while. We'll get to it later. And for these uh, next five weeks in the month of May, we're going to spend some time in the early chapters of Acts, where a variety of things happened after the resurrection, the, the birth of the church, the coming of the Holy Spirit, the spread of the gospel. Now our goal is simply to create some space for the Holy Spirit to do a fresh work in our lives, individually and collectively. Honestly, we don't have the whole thing figured out yet. We're going to take it week by week. Next week, you'll get to hear from our newest pastor, Ruthie Siders, on some of these themes. And later on in the month, you'll get to hear from your own campus pastor on these themes as well. And right in the middle, of course, of the month, we have our One Church Sunday. So I'm really excited about whatever it is we're going to learn and experience this month. Now, if you remember when we spoke about the Spirit a month or so ago, we remembered the words of Jesus who said that the Spirit is like the wind. It blows wherever it wills. You can't control the wind, but you can set your sails to catch it. And so that's the question we're going to be going after this month. How can we catch the wind of God's Spirit? What are the conditions that allow God to do something more in our lives and our church and our city. And it turns out that more is what the disciples were looking for in the days following the resurrection. So let's pick up the story in the book of Acts, chapter 1, the first few verses. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. So we're told that Jesus appeared to his disciples a variety of times and places over these period of 40 days. And he did that for two reasons. First of all, to prove he was really alive. During our Unbelievable Series, we reminded us that believing that someone has risen from the dead, that's a big stretch, even for the people who had lived through it the first time. And so for 40 days, Jesus wants there to be no doubt in their mind or ours that he really was back from the dead and very much alive. The second reason he appeared was to teach them, to drive home all these themes he's been sharing with them for the past three years, and especially teaching about the kingdom of God. But it seems as though the disciples were having a hard time both understanding and accepting this teaching about the kingdom. Let's keep going in verse 4. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, I love the ordinariness, the genuineness of this eyewitness account while he was eating with them. So picture it. They're passing the potatoes or the matzah around the table. Between bites, as he reaches for a sip of wine, Jesus says, oh, by the way, don't leave town till the spirit shows up. And they go on with their meal. Now, that's not what they expected to hear. They must have said, wait, what? Remember, these guys were not from Jerusalem. Most of them were from Galilee. They'd been on the road for weeks and maybe months, and they had to be eager to get back home again. Remember, too, that Jerusalem is not exactly a safe place for them. Their leader was executed just 40 days ago. And and who and what is this Holy Spirit Jesus keeps talking about? And, And what does a baptism in the Spirit look like anyway? I mean, baptism with water, they understood, but with the Spirit? Besides, they had their marching orders. Jesus had already commissioned them, go into all the world and preach the gospel. So let's get started. Jesus, time's a-wasting. But he says, don't leave town. Wait until the gift my Father promised. Now, no one likes to wait. We don't like to wait. Waiting feels like a waste of time. Sitting in the doctor's office, stuck in traffic, standing in line at the checkout counter. I mean, we could be doing something with those moments. Waiting feels helpless. Waiting for the the lab results to come back. Waiting for the college acceptance letter to come. Waiting for someone who was supposed to be home an hour ago. There's nothing we can do to hurry things along or to ensure a positive outcome. It's a very helpless feeling waiting. And waiting is so limiting. We want our driver's license now (laughs) so we can get around without mom and dad. We want a job now so we can pay our bills and get our career started. We want to meet someone now. We want to sell our house now. We want to retire now and move on to the next chapter. We don't like to wait and the disciples weren't crazy about it either. Look what they say in verse 6. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? In other words, yeah, yeah, Jesus, that's all great, but are we going to get our crowns now? Are you going to kick out the Romans now? Are you going to restore the economy now? See, the disciples wanted more, and they wanted it now, and they were wrong on both counts. First of all, they were wrong because they wanted more of the wrong things. They were looking for an earthly kingdom. They wanted political power. They wanted financial prosperity, status, fame, prestige. And secondly, they wanted it on their terms. They wanted it immediately. They didn't want to wait. So they weren't wrong for wanting more. They just they wanted the wrong stuff, and they wanted it on their terms. And we tend to make the same mistakes. When, when we say to God, we want more of something usually it's more of some earthly material thing. We want more money, we want more success, we want more influence. We we, we want more clothes in the closet, we want more rooms in our house, we want more titles after our name. We want more hair, we want more muscle, we want more tone. (laughs) There's nothing wrong with having and even maybe wanting more of some of those things. But if we think that having more of those things is going to make us happy or satisfied or significant, we are in for a big disappointment. The more that Jesus has in mind is far different from any of those things. Listen to verse 7 and 8. He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by His own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The more that Jesus has in mind is more profound, more satisfying, more significant than anything this world has to offer. It's more power, it's more purpose, it's more life, it's more of himself. I want to take you back to an expression that Jesus uses back in verse 5. He says, in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, what exactly did Jesus mean by that? That expression, baptism in the Holy Spirit, is a confusing one, and and for some people, it's an uncomfortable one, baptism in the Holy Spirit. Now, it turns out that's just one of a variety of phrases the New Testament uses to describe the work of the Spirit in our lives. Baptized in the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, anointed by the Spirit, indwelt by the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit. All those expressions show up in the New Testament. And I really, this morning, don't want to get bogged down in defining each of them and making fine points of distinction. We can do that another time. What I want us to hear this morning is Jesus' heart for His disciples and us. And Jesus' heart was that they and we would experience the fullness of His power and presence in our lives through His Holy Spirit. That we would experience the fullness of His power and presence. That word baptism simply means to dip or immerse or submerge. And so when we baptize someone by immersion in water, they are completely covered in water. When they come up, every part of them is wet. And so to be baptized in the Holy Spirit is simply to be immersed or submerged in in God's Spirit and the life of God. Only it happens from the inside out. Every part of us is affected. Now I love those images of water that we looked at in our opening video sequence because that water image is what Jesus is conjuring up here by this word baptism. Jesus wants us to imagine ourselves standing beneath a waterfall. This guy here, Is there any doubt that he's wet? (laughs) Okay, something's happening to him. Every part of him is soaked. That's the image that Jesus is conjuring up here. When, When you're baptized in water, you know it. You come up gasping for air and dripping wet. And when you're baptized in the Spirit, when you're filled with the Spirit, when you're anointed with the Spirit, you know it. You sense his power and presence. Now, I do want to make one very careful theological distinction here. The Bible tells us that every believer in Jesus Christ has been baptized in the Spirit. I believe the Bible teaches that the moment we turn to Christ in faith and repentance, we receive the life of God, the life from above. That's why we call it being born again. The life of God is the Spirit of God. And we receive that the moment we come to faith in Christ. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians, for we were all baptized by one Spirit into one body, and we were all given the one Spirit to drink. So as I understand this passage and others, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have received the Spirit. You've received the whole Holy Spirit. But don't miss the point that Throughout the New Testament, we find that we are to have continuing experiences and encounters with God's Holy Spirit, filling us, anointing us, empowering us, moments when we're aware of His power and presence. Now, for some people, that those signs might include things like speaking in tongues or, or being slain in the Spirit. Some of those are legitimate expressions of the Spirit's power. But they won't happen to every believer, and chances are they won't happen to most believers. I've been following Christ my whole life, seeking His Spirit my whole life. Those things have never happened to me. But there are all kinds of ways to experience the power and presence of God's Spirit. It might come as a a flash of insight when you're reading the scriptures, it might come in this remarkable sense of peace in a troubling circumstance. It might come as a prompting to to reach out to somebody in kindness. It might come as a stirring in your heart during a worship service. Maybe as a surge of courage when some opportunity presents itself. Or a surge of strength in the face of some temptation. It might come with a conviction that you need to stop doing something or start doing something. It might come by this overwhelming sense that He is simply with you. The Spirit might show up with tears or laughter or singing or silence. The Spirit might cause you to throw your hands in the air or to hit your knees in repentance. However it happens, when the Spirit is present and active, you know it. You know you're wet. You know the Spirit's at work. Now, if you remember back during our Unbelievable series, we talked about the fact that there are two dimensions to the Christian faith. There's the objective side and the subjective side. There's a rational, reasonable, historical, scientific aspect to the Christian faith. And then there is this personal, experiential, mysterious, supernatural aspect to the Christian faith. And it's when these two, objective and subjective, come together in a person's life that we come into a relationship with God. You can't argue someone into the kingdom of God. At some point, a person has to encounter Christ and respond to him personally. Now, can I offer an observation, an honest observation? Here at Grace Chapel, we are very good at the objective side of faith. Right? We're thoughtful we're reasonable, we're intentional, we study the scriptures, we have strategic plans, we have a preaching calendar, we do things decently and in order, and all that is good, it honors God, it's good stewardship, and you might say it's appropriate for our New England context if you know what I mean. But I sense that we are a little less comfortable sometimes with the subjective side of the Christian experience, the spontaneous, expressive, emotional, reckless, unpredictable side of faith. But when some of you emailed us and stopped us in the hallway and said, we want more of that, I think it was more of that. Or that unpredictable, mysterious, powerful, supernatural work of God in our midst. The subjective side of faith. We we want it to be as refreshing as standing beneath a waterfall. We want it to be so bracing, so, so overpowering that we know we are in the midst of God's presence. We want more of God's life in us. We want more of His power at work through us, more love for one another. I take it that's a yes, if you want more of that. So more of that. But then how do you get it? How do we catch the wind of God's Spirit? What conditions have to be in place for that to happen, for God to do more? Well, it begins, we'll discover this morning, with a spirit of expectancy. A spirit of expectancy. Look at verse 12. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the hill called Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. And those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James son of Alphaeus and Simon the Zealot, Judas son of James, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. So they watch Jesus ascend into heaven from the Mount of Olives, and at that point they know he's gone. They are on their own until the Spirit shows up. So like Jesus said, they turn and they walk the three quarters of a mile back into Jerusalem, and they go back to the room they'd been meeting in. Now, it might have been that upper room where they had the Last Supper. It might have been the home of Mary, the mother of Mark. We don't know. What we do know is that there were about 120 of them at that time. We're told it includes the 11 disciples, this group of women who've been following Jesus, and then members of Jesus' family, His mother, His brothers, and likely His sisters as well. About 120 of them. What I want you to notice is what they did at that point. Verse 14. Verse 14. They all join together constantly in prayer. Now remember, Jesus has told them to wait. When Jesus tells you to wait, he's not talking about watching TV or playing video games until something happens. Waiting in the Bible is never passive. It's always active. It's intentional. It's expected. Waiting in the Bible is like waiting for Christmas, counting down the days because you know it's coming. Waiting in the Bible is like waiting for the new baby to come, stocking up on diapers and decorating the nursery so you're ready. Waiting in the Bible is like waiting for a 3-2 pitch in the bottom of the ninth with the bases loaded and a slugger up at the plate. Something's about to happen. Expectancy. Expectancy. And the primary way we express that expectancy is in prayer. 31 times in the book of Acts we hear about prayer. Notice two things about the kind of prayer they prayed. First of all, it's united prayer. They all joined together in prayer. Luke uses a very unusual word here. It's a favorite word of his. He uses it 10 times in this book. The word simply means of one mind and spirit all together. That's the word. Now remember, was 120 of them. There's men and there women. There's young and they're old. There's some who have been following Jesus from the beginning. There's some latecomers who just joined, the, just joined the party. And yet in that day, on that moment, in that room, they were all together with one mind and purpose. They agreed together, we want more of what Jesus is talking about. It's united prayer. Second thing to notice about their prayer is that it was persistent. They all joined together constantly in prayer. So it looks like they spent the better part of their days praying. And they did it day after day. We're told for 10 days they did this. Now, we're not told what they were praying about, but I don't think it was the weather or the economy or someone's stuffy nose. I think they were praying for more of all the things that Jesus had been talking about. Now, you might wonder, why did they have to pray anyway? Hadn't Jesus already promised it? Wasn't it a done deal Apparently, there's something about the praying, about the waiting, about the asking and the seeking that puts us in a proper place to receive whatever it is God wants to offer. We wait for Christmas so we'll be ready to celebrate when it happens. We wait for the baby to come so we're ready to welcome him or her into our house. We wait for the three-two pitch so we're prepared to jump to our feet and cheer when the slugger hits one out of the park. Waiting prepares us for what we're about to receive. That's what Jesus tells us back in the Gospel of Luke. He says, I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. If you know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? You see, the Lord is as eager to give more as we are to receive more. But He waits for us to ask. Spirit of expectancy. And so that's what we'll be doing in this month of May. We'll be praying. And I'm going to suggest four simple ways you can be praying here in this month of May. First, you can pray every day in the month of May. A simple prayer that God would do something more in the life of our church. I'm going to be praying that prayer, and in just a moment, I'll give you that prayer so we can be praying it together, and we'll make it available on the website so you can get it and pray it at home. Maybe in the morning when you wake up, in the evening before you go to bed, at the dinner table, join us in prayer every day in the month of May. Persistent prayer. Secondly, you can join us for a One Church Sunday on May 17th. Please understand, our purpose for this gathering in Lowell, it's not just to throw a party for ourselves. It's a very intentional decision to bring the entire Grace Chapel family together for one day in one place so that with one mind and one spirit, we can seek God for whatever He might want to do. We've just learned there's something powerful about the whole group being in the room at the same time. United prayer. And so we want everyone to be there. If you'd like, you can come early that day at 9 o'clock and join a prayer team that are going to be praying throughout the the auditorium there for our time together. Thirdly, you can join us for our Pentecost prayer meeting. We do this every springtime around Pentecost Sunday, which is later this month. We'll tell you the time and the date. We haven't quite nailed it down yet, but it's a Wednesday evening. And on this Pentecost prayer service, we always lean into themes of unity and power and praise. And then finally, I'll mention that this Thursday is the national day of prayer set aside by Congress. And so from 12 to 1 in Boston, there's going to be a gathering of church leaders at the State House. I'll be there along with some others from 12 to 1. And then Thursday evening at Line of Judah Congregation, there's going to be a citywide prayer service. If you'd like information about that, we have it at the information desks in all of the lobbies. So four simple ways you can join us in praying during this month of May. But I do want you to understand, there's more to a spirit of expectancy than just prayer, as important as that is. Expectancy means waking up every morning with a sense of anticipation for what God might do in and through you that very day. Expectancy means walking through the day with your eyes open, your ears attentive, your hands ready for whatever opportunity God might present to you. Expectancy means setting aside times and places in your week, in your year, for you to be quiet and listen for God's voice. Expectancy means coming to church every Sunday, expecting God to meet you. Looking and listening for Him in every song, every scripture, every spoken word, every silent moment. Expectancy means being open and honest with your small group or your life community. Believing that God can speak to you and them in those authentic moments. Expectancy means that no matter how long you've been following Jesus, no matter how mature you are in your faith, no matter how many wonderful experiences you've had with God, no matter how much your church has accomplished over the decades, you're always asking for more of whatever it is God wants to give. Life, love, power, spirit. I don't know exactly what God has in store for us in the days to come. I happen to think it's pretty exciting. We have some remarkable things in place here. We have a gifted, dedicated pastoral staff. We love working together. We have strong lay leadership teams across all of our ministries. We have an army of faithful, committed volunteers who make things happen week by week around here. We have abundant material resources. We have four vibrant campuses. We have trusted partners in the city and around the world. Anything could happen in the days to come. But before we go charging into that future, I hear the Lord saying, wait. Slow down for a moment. Wait until you have received power from on high. Because as gifted and as intentional and as strategic and as dedicated and as generous and as faithful as we all might be, Without God's Spirit, we can do nothing of eternal, lasting value. So that's what we'll be doing in this month of May. We'll be setting our sails to catch the wind of God's Spirit. And the first way to do that is with a spirit of expectancy. Outside the headquarters of the American Bible Society in Midtown Manhattan, there's a statue. It's a bronze cast of a middle-aged businessman named Jeremiah Lanfear. He's sitting on a bench with an empty space beside him and a hand lifted towards heaven. He's waiting for someone to come pray with him. He's asking God to do more. And I pray that's the spirit with which we will enter into this month together. Now in just a moment we're going to gather around our communion tables on each of our campuses and, and our campus pastor will lead us in that moment of unity and seeking God. But before we do, I'd like to invite you to pray with me a prayer that God has put on my heart for these next 30 days. Would you stand with me? And we'll pray this prayer aloud together. <laughs> Let's pray. Lord. With gratitude for all you have done in our lives and our church, we humbly ask for more. More of the abundant life you promised us, more love for one another and for those who are far from you, and more of your Spirit's power as we carry out your work in this world. Lord, we're grateful that you have promised to hear the prayers of your people whenever two or three or a thousand are gathered in your name. You are among them, and you hear our prayers, and we are grateful for that. Give us expectant hearts, persistent prayer, oneness of mind and spirit, and we invite you to do whatever it is you choose to do for your glory, for our joy, and for the good of the world in the days to come. Amen.